He is a chain breaker. Amen? Amen. I don't know if I will ever get tired of testifying to how He broke my chains and how He set me free. And I hope that that's your testimony this morning. And I hope that if it's not your testimony, that it will be before we leave this place. That whatever you feel in bondage to this morning, whatever you're struggling with, whatever it is that you feel like you can't overcome, that you would meet and encounter a life-saving Savior who can change that. I want to read you something that the psalmist writes in Psalms 102 and just kind of give you a little running translation of what he says. And you can follow along if you want. We'll be looking later at Second uh, Kings, but I wanted to just read this to you. The psalmist writes this in Psalms 102. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. He is crying out in a time of need. He says, do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me. For when I call, answer me quickly. What he's, he's, he's saying, that he feels like God is far away. He's saying it feels like God's not listening to him. Like no matter what he does, no matter how many times he prays, how many times he calls out to God, how many times he seeks God's face, it, it's like he can't be found. He said, for my days vanish like smoke and my bones burn like glowing ember. He's saying that life to him seems meaningless. It seems to be without purpose. The, the bones burning. He's saying everything within me hurts. My body hurts. My spirit hurts. My soul hurts. In verse 4, he says, My heart is blighted and withered like grass. For I forget to eat my food. Because of my loud groaning, I am reduced to skin and bones. He's, he's talking about a, a, a loss and a hurt in his bones. It causes his, his weight to fluctuate. It causes his eating habits to get off track. He, he says he feels like he no longer can enjoy anything. The things that once brought him passion, the things that once brought him joy, now seem to disappear. In verse 6, he says, I'm like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. He's saying, I, I feel all alone. I feel like there's no one else around that understands me. He says, I lie awake and I become like a bird alone on a roof. He, he's talking about a sleep pattern. He says, I can't sleep at night. Sometimes I sleep so much I don't want to get up in the morning. Sometimes I, I, I'm, I'm awake for days upon end. It, it was a mess with his rest. In verse 8 he says, all day long my enemies taunt me. And those who rail against me use my name as a curse. He, he's saying he feels persecuted. He's saying he feels like everyone is against him. He feels rejected. He feels like everyone that he knows has turned on him. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. He's talking about time of sadness. He says, I'm crying and then I'm happy and, and then I'm joyful and then I'm crying again. He's emotionally unstable. Verse 10, he ends, Because of your great wrath, you have taken me up and thrown me aside. He's saying he feels like a failure. Saying he feels like he has no purpose in his life. Feels like God just doesn't care anymore. Let me ask you this morning. Have you ever felt that way? Can you relate to the psalmist writing this morning? Have you ever been down that same road? Some of these emotions, some of these passions that he's expressing to God. Could you say that you've walked in his shoes? For many in this room, that's a reality. And for many in this room, they've experienced all of them at the same time. You see, this is a classic definition of what today we would call depression. Matter of fact, the Bible is full of examples of depression. 
full of people like us who struggled with, with not just being depressed or feeling down or feeling discouraged, but fell into a malaise that we today would call depression, maybe even chronic depression. The Bible tells in Numbers and in Exodus about Moses. Moses struggled with depression all throughout when he, when he ran from God, when he fled Egypt. And God came and found him and God put a call on his life. And even during those 40 years when he, was, when he was taking the children of Israel, there are several times in Numbers where it talks about his heart and his spirit being so troubled that he wanted to quit, that he wanted to give up. King David, a man after God's own heart, writes almost 15 psalms that were based on nothing but a depressed and hurt spirit. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me, spirit? The book of Job describes Job's lament, describes Job's period of depression. Jeremiah, the great prophet, struggled with depression. The book of Lamentations deals with the struggle of the children of God who feel like God has cast them aside and the great discouragement and depression that that brings about. You see, the Bible is full of depression and yet it still remains one of those topics, one of those issues that we ignore or rarely discuss in the church. See, it remains one of those things that we stay silent on. And in doing so, we leave those who struggle with depression, we leave those who are fighting this emotion, this emotion that, that the psalmist was caring for, we leave them to care for themselves. Because we've allowed the false perception to continue that somehow depression is a sign of weakness. Somehow we've allowed it to be known that depression is a lack of faith. If, if only you'll love Jesus more, right? If only you, you pray more, if only you go to church more, then surely you won't struggle with depression. But that's not reality. Matter of fact, one of the first uh, great preachers of the modern era, a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon, was pastor of one of the first megachurches in the 19th century, London Metropolitan. And all throughout his 40 years of pastoring, he struggled off and on with deep and discouraging depression. Many times having to take months of sabbatical at a time because of his depression. And one day in 1865, one Sunday in the pulpit, he revealed it to a shocked congregation, over 5,000 people there. And he said this from the pulpit, I am the subject of a depression of spirit so great and so fearful that I hope none of you ever gets to the extremes of wretchedness that I go through. You see, the fact is good people, good and faithful Christians, people who love Jesus, people who come to church, people who read their Bible, struggle with depression. And yet we remain silent. Matter of fact, the Christian counseling team at the Minerth Meyer Clinic which deals with Christians and treating Christians, say they treat over 50,000 Christians a week for depression. And 75% of those Christians they treat are labeled chronic depression, which means it lasts longer than a month. See, that's a problem for us. If 50,000 Christians a week are being treated and 75% are chronic, why do we remain silent? Why do we close our eyes to those around us that are hurting? Studies show that in America, 20% of all Americans will in their lifetime suffer serious depression affliction. That's one in five. One in five of all Americans in their lifetime will go through a serious bout 
with depression. Matter of fact, statistics tell us that currently there are 19 million Americans that suffer some sort of clinical depression. That's beyond being depressed. That's beyond being discouraged. That's beyond having a day or two of being depressed. That is a deep-seated depression. 19 million Americans, and I think that number is low. That's one out of every 15 Americans suffers from clinical depression. So that means in a room this size, there are at least 7 to 10, if not more, of us that have suffered or are suffering with clinical depression. Who many times throughout the week could say that our lives are much like what the psalmist wrote. We can't sleep and and we can't uh, get up once we do fall asleep and our eating habits are astray and we feel like God's left us all alone and we feel like no one cares. Who will give a voice to those people? Doctors tell us that 28 million people in America today are on some form of medication for anxiety or depression. And you see, that's another false perception we need to pull down. Because for too long the church has said... You just love Jesus, you just pray, you just try a little harder. And the moment we start talking about medicine, people shy away. Matter of fact, I've heard pastors stand in the pulpit and say it's a sin for you to go and treat yourself with drugs, especially mental issues. That's crazy. It's been proven that many times depression, if not caused, is exacerbated by by certain chemical imbalances in the body. When, When our hearts hurt, we get it fixed with medicine. When our bones are hurt, we get it fixed with medicine. When our brain's messed up, it's okay to get it fixed with medicine. And some of you in this room, if you have not taken that step because somebody has told you that it is not of God, then you need to remember that God uses medicine to heal. And some of you need to treat yourself medically. Now... This is not an easy subject because 10 to 15 people in this room are probably struggling with it or have struggled with it. And if not 10 to 15 people in this room, then there's a good chance that 20% of us sometime in our life are going to find ourselves in this pit of depression. You see, my goal in talking about this morning is to bring the issue of depression out of the shadows. My goal in talking about it this morning is to try to to bring it out of this hidden secret place that we've allowed it to become so that we can talk about it. So those who are hurting can share, so they can be honest and genuine and transparent. Because if we can't do that in the church with our church family, where can we do that? You see, my hope and my prayer is that after we walk out of this place that we will be more open with our struggles that we'll be more open with our hurts, that we'll be more open with some of the things that we are facing and not see them as a weakness, but see there's an opportunity to be able to minister. Now, as I said when I started, one of the things that God put this on my heart to talk about, I've never preached on depression. I talked about suicide a couple of years ago and a little bit about how depression causes and affects suicide, but I've never talked about depression. Yet in the 30 years that I've been in ministry, I've known at least 25 pastors, ministers, youth ministers, worship ministers who have committed suicide because of clinical depression. But yet we still don't like to talk about it. And I worried when God put this on my heart that, that you know, God, maybe it's not the best time. It's, it's high school graduation recognition. And, uh, you know, depression doesn't seem to be one of those, you know, charge and go out there, high school students, and make the most of your life. But uh, I came across a, a recent survey that was released by Psychology Today that was a 10-year survey, and they found that 36% of all teenage girls between the ages of 12 and 20 describe themselves as extremely depressed or have gone through a depressed 
extended time of extreme depression. 36%. 13% of guys, and I don't know why there's a difference. Uh, They determined that it had to do with social media and the pressure on girls in today's modern social media to try to be something that they're not. But 36% of our high school and, and junior high girls are struggling with depression. Matter of fact, in that same survey, they talked to college medical administrators and they described what was going on in their college campuses as a mental health epidemic. They said they are seeing more college students deal with chronic depression than ever before. And the problem is most of them won't get help because they see it as a weakness, because they're embarrassed, because they struggle with it. See, the doctors would define depression as being a persistent sadness that affects almost all areas of our life. They describe it as a condition of inability to concentrate, insomnia, feelings of failure, dejection, and guilt. But I like to think of depression as something that speaks a language all its own. Depression is a time-defying sadness that confuses both mind and emotions. It's a persistent and anxious emptiness. It's a feeling of hopelessness. It's a feeling of pessimism. It gives you a sense of guilt, worthlessness, helplessness. And it robs pleasures of all the things that you once enjoyed so dearly. It causes the person struggling with it to be restless and irritable. And there's a dance between insomnia and oversleeping. Doctors say today that clinical depression, long-term depression, is the greatest, most common emotional problem in our country. No one's immune to it. Rich, poor, pastor, layperson, doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in. Doesn't matter what economics you have. Doesn't matter your education. Doesn't matter your cultural background. Doesn't matter your finances. It hits equally across the board. And the thing that's so sad about it, and the one thing we do know about it, is that it takes time to develop and deepen. See, depression doesn't happen overnight, especially clinical depression. It takes time to develop. It takes time to get deeper. And if it takes time to develop, if it takes time to get deeper, then somehow you and I have got to be the people to get in there while it's developing and help those who are struggling with it. You see, we've got to begin to cultivate an environment in the church where it's okay to talk about it, where it's okay to share, where it's okay to say, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I don't have answers, I'm irritable, and I don't know what's going on in my life. And, and, And it's okay when you face difficulties in life to be able to share. We've got to be able to do that because what happens is, is as depression deepens, and it goes, it may start with just simply feeling depressed. And not all feeling depressed goes into depression, and not all depression turns into clinical depression. But if left unto its own, it will always get worse. And many times it ends up with a person going through it, hurting their family and their friends and even themselves. So this morning I want to just let you think through a couple of factors that have been identified as as opening doors to depression. Things that have a tendency to, to create an environment where depression can be cultivated. Because if we can identify the factors, then we can be on guard and we can also help those around us be on guard. And there's just a couple of these that I want to give you and then I want to really just focus on one because I think it's the most important. First of all, there are physical factors. Doctors will tell you that bad eating habits, bad sleeping habits, bad exercise habits, all of those things will play in to your emotional health. All of those things are important for us to look at because always your physical health will cross over into your emotional health. And the danger with that is your emotional health will always affect your spiritual health. 
And so doctors tell you to be on guard when you're having difficulty uh, sleeping or when your eating habits aren't right or, or when you're not exercising. And they also tell you that if you are going through depression, some of the things that you can do is look at your diet. Look at the things that you're eating. Get on sleep pattern. And those things will help. There are physical factors. There are emotional factors. They identify things like big life changes, the loss of a loved one, infidelity or divorce, the breaking up of a family, uh, moving out, life-changing environments, when seasons change in your life, when you move to a new town, when when you move to a house. Do you know that moving is listed as one of the most stressful events in a person's life? Matter of fact, in married life, moving is listed as the most stressful event that you'll face. And what happens many times when we move is we allow that move and that transition to cause stress in our life that leads us to a path of depression. There are emotional factors that we face. Sometimes it's the the loss of a dream or the loss of a hope. See, all of us have hopes and dreams. All of us have ideas of what I want to be when I grow up or what I hope to be when I'm 50 or what I hope to be when I'm 40 or 30 or whatever age you're shooting out there for. Some of you, whatever I hope to be when I get 90, right? Amen? And then we get to that age and it doesn't look like what we expected it to look like. And we're caught off guard. And we can tumble into a time of depression. They say there are environmental factors, stress at home, stress at work, financial struggles, seasonal depression, which is something we deal with here. For those of you that sneak off and run away during the winter, it can get pretty dreary here. (laughs) You go through a week, ten days, three weeks, a month, where you don't see the sun. Fog, rain, snow. It can get dreary. And the doctors tell us that it can lead to a seasonal depression. That it's in those times that if you are apt to fall into depression, that you need to be more aware of your surroundings. Be more aware of what's going on emotionally. They say there are self-image factors. And what that is is we sometimes identify our worth and who we are in other things and other people. And when that is torn down we have a tendency to fall into depression. Because see, any time that you put your identity in anything but Christ, you're headed towards trouble. What does that mean? Your identity is tied into your job. You find your self-worth based on your your bank account. You find your self-worth based on your ability uh, to to do, do something. In athletics, or your brains, or, or your, your neighborhood that you live in, or, or your children, or, or you find your self-worth in something besides Jesus Christ. And then when those things change, when those things disappear, when you no longer have that ability, when you lose that job that was your identity, it can lead you to a place of depression and discouragement. This is one of those places where social media, as I mentioned earlier, has a huge role. Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and all the other hundreds of new social media, they project this perfect lifestyle. They project that everything's great. Because you see, on on Facebook and on Instagram and on Snapchat, we don't put the bad times. We don't don't put when everything's a mess. We don't snap a picture when, when we're in disarray. The only time we do it is when it looks perfect, right? You sit at home and you're seeing all your friends. And they're perfect kids that they take to the park and they don't have any problems and their kids don't run crazy and they don't beat up other kids and and they don't escape. And and so you're watching and you're looking at this perfect mom with her perfect kids and you turn off the internet and you sit down and go, that's not me. How did I fail? See, all you see is that comparative mentality and it leads to depression. Physical factors, emotional factors, environmental factors, self-image factors, but probably the greatest factor is the issue of spiritual warfare. Because you see, sometimes we forget that we as Christians are in a war. 
You're in a battle. And as long as we remain on this earth, as long as we have to live in this flesh, there will be a fight. And your physical and your emotional well-being will always affect your spiritual well-being. And you see, the enemy, he loves to take those factors, emotional, physical, self-worth, self and he loves to compound them at a time when you're weak and cause you to take your eyes off of Christ. To put you in a place where you feel like nobody cares. To, to put you in a place where you feel like you're all alone. And he robs your joy. He robs your power. He robs your purpose. He robs your witness. And the sad thing is in the church is so many of us are going through spiritual warfare. And you understand Paul promises that in Ephesians 6. And the greatest example of this is in the life of Elijah the prophet. And Elijah the prophet struggled with depression. And the irony of Elijah the prophet's struggle with depression is that it happened after one of his greatest victories. See, most of us, when you talk about Elijah, if you studied the Bible at all, or you know the Bible at all, you know that Elijah was the prophet during the time of Jezebel and Ahab. And God called Elijah to stand and confront Jezebel and Ahab. And it all culminated at the, the battle on Mount Carmel. And you may remember the story that, that they have a, a God showdown. And on that mountain with thousands of people watching, the prophets of Baal built a huge altar and, and they built it up big. And the, the thing about it that I love, because it's, it's Elijah's so us. Elijah's over there watching them build this altar and he's going, build it big. Build it big. Surely your God wants a big idol. And, and they start singing and praying. He's like, sing louder. Maybe God, your God can't hear you. You know, dance a little better. You're not dancing good enough. And he's over there just calling them out. And they do all that and nothing happens. And then Elijah simply goes over to his altar. And he says, listen, this is going to be easy because I know who my God is. So what I want you to do is, instead of putting gas on my altar like you guys did and fuel on my altar, go get water. Soak my altar till it is sopping wet. And they said, what? Go get water. So they poured water on it. They said, now step back because it's going to be big. And he sat down and he prayed a simple prayer. God, show them who's God. And the Bible said fire fell from heaven and it consumed the water and it consumed the altar and it consumed the prophets of Baal. I mean, it lit them up and instantly right after that it began to rain and it hadn't rained in three years in Israel. And God broke a drought. This was Elijah's greatest victory. And you know what he did right after this great victory? He ran. He fell into a depressive state. Because so many times, the biggest falls that we have in our life come after the biggest victories, come after the biggest emotional outpourings, when we've just poured ourselves out. And Elijah runs. I want to read to you and listen to how he describes. Think about it. This is Elijah who danced around the altar. Now listen, in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, listen to what he says. It says, after he ran away, after he was afraid, in verse 3, Elijah ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey in the desert, he came to a broom tree, and he sat down under, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down, and he fell asleep. And here was a guy who stood up to the 700 prophets and a a lady that had no power, no authority, and no control threatened him, and he ran. Because he was emotionally and spiritually weak. Think about some of the characteristics that we see in Elijah. He was fearful. That's part of depression. He was scared of what was going to happen. Scared of the unknown. He had suicidal tendencies. He said, take my life. He was tired. He fell asleep. And matter of fact, he fell asleep for days. 
and he couldn't get up. He felt rejected. Later on in verse 10, he's going to say, God, you don't even care about me anymore. Nobody cares about me. He felt like no one was on his side. He felt like he was all alone. And the sad thing is, is this went on for two months. Forty days and forty nights. He was a mess. Many of us in this room can relate. Some of you have been six months, a year, two years, five years. And you don't have any relief. I want you to just see as I get ready to wrap it up what God did for Elijah. Because you see, this is what God wants to do for you this morning. A couple of things that God did. The first thing that God did is he recognized that this depression was real. When God comes to him, he doesn't give him a a pep talk. He doesn't give him a sermon. He doesn't give him all the trite answers that we find today. He recognized that what he was going through was real. And he took it seriously. See, so many times when people do open up to us about their depression or about their struggles, we try to give them quick answers, right? Spiritual answers, right? Let me write down a couple of verses. Go read these verses. Everything will be okay. Let me pray for you real fast. And those things are good. But what they say to that person that's going through depression is, you really don't understand. See, God wanted Elijah to know, I understand. I'm not downplaying what you're feeling. I'm not downplaying your emotion. I recognize that you're hurting. And I recognize that you're depressed. He took it seriously. He took it uh, as something important. And what did he do? He let him rest. Matter of fact, he said sleep. And he had a raven come and provide him food. And he had water spring up from the ground. Because many times one of the greatest struggles for those who are going through depression is they need to rest. They need to recharge. They need to get away from their situation. And they just need you to be there. Sometimes they don't need you to say anything. They just need you to be there. And God said for 40 days he was going to come when Elijah was ready. But he didn't show up. And every day Elijah was just there. God said, it's not time. He said, I just want you to understand, I'm here, but it's not time. You're not ready yet. And sometimes the greatest thing you can do is just be present with someone who is struggling with depression. You can't force them to do anything. They have to move at their pace. And when God saw that Elijah was ready, a couple of things that he did that snapped Elijah out of it. The first thing is he sent him to church. He took him from underneath that broom tree after he'd been sleeping and was depressed. He said, I want you to go to Mount Horeb. And Mount Horeb is where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He said, I want you to go to a holy place because it's in a holy place. And that's where he's in the cave in Mount Horeb. He says, it's in a holy place where you begin to take your focus off of you. See, some of the greatest struggles with depression is because it, it, it's like a mirror 24 hours a day seeing all of our worst fears and all of our worst attributes. Because depression focuses only on us. And the first thing God wanted to do is he wanted to get him in an environment where the focus wasn't Elijah, but where the focus was God. See, I want to encourage you, church doesn't always have all the answers. But it's hard to focus only on yourself when you come and you begin to sing about how great is our God. When you begin to sit around people. You see, I know I talk about people being in church a lot and the importance of being in church. but, But I think we miss it in today's culture. You see, what happens when you come to church is there is a a spiritual exchange that takes place. And some of you came in this morning and you were beat up and you were bruised and you had a mess of a week and you were dragging and, and you couldn't even think about worshiping. And you came and you sat down and the person beside you had a great week and everything went good and they began to worship God. 
And they began to praise God. And if you took away from yourself and began to focus and worship God, what they were experiencing would begin to exchange into you. See, the Bible says when the body of Christ comes together, we lift each other up, we encourage each other, we bless each other. We draw strength from one another. And so that's what he wanted Elijah to experience. He wanted him to understand that there was something bigger than himself. The second thing God did is he listened. You'll find three times in this chapter where Elijah is talking and God said, Elijah, why are you doing this? Why do you feel this way? He just listened. Do you know that listening is a lost art today? We love to say we listen. I'm a good listener. No, you're not. You're a good hearer. We hear people, and while they are talking, we are already deciding what we should say back to them. That's not listening. See, sometimes we just need to sit with a blank slate and let them pour it all out. We need to engage. Look at them. Let them know that you hear what they're saying. Let them know that you understand what they're going through is serious. Empathize with them. But listen. Set aside time to listen. God listened. And he didn't reject what he was feeling. He didn't make fun of his feelings. He didn't, he didn't deny his feelings. He listened to him. And then the third thing, went to church. He listened. And then he, God corrected Elijah's false perception. Because see, depression, it skewers our views. Did you go back and hear what the psalmist said in Psalms 102 that I read earlier? No one is with me. No one cares about me. Everyone is against me. And, and I feel lonely and I feel like a, a bird on a roof and I feel like everyone has abandoned me. Do you think that was a reality? Probably not. But you see, when you're depressed, that's what happens. You feel like everybody's against you. You feel like no one cares. You feel like you're all alone. And here's Elijah. Just had this great victory. And God says, Elijah, what's going on? And Elijah says, I'm the only one, God. I'm the only faithful person in all of Israel. I'm the only one still doing what you said. Everybody else has given up. I'm tired of being the only one. And then when I do stand up, God, you run away. And so God gently reminded him, listen, Elijah, first of all, you're not the only one. He says down in verse 18, he says, there are 7,000 others who haven't bowed a knee to Baal that are behind you. You're not the only one. And not only that, there are many people that have changed their life because of your faithfulness, Elijah. He corrected his false perception. You see, sometimes people that are struggling with depression need to understand the reality. They're not alone. God hasn't abandoned them. God still cares. They're not the only one going through what they're going through. You need to correct their false perceptions. Sometimes just because we can't hear and see God, we don't think He's active. But many times when we can't see and hear Him is when He's the most active. He listened. He sent Him to church. He corrected His false perception. And then lastly, He gave Him a purpose. At the end of the chapter, after two months of being in depression and working with him, he said, listen, Elijah, i got something for you to do. There's a guy out there named Elisha, and I need you to go pray for him because he's going to be the next prophet. See, what he did is he said, I'm not done with you. And one of the greatest things that we need to remind ourselves is that God has a purpose for your life. You may feel like you're alone. You may feel like no one cares. You may feel like it's all God's not done. And one of the greatest ways to help yourself, and, and listen, I, I, I don't have time to go into all. I've struggled with depression. Many pastors struggled with depression. About 20 years ago, I got to the point that it was almost clinical, where it was a horrible, horrible ailment for me. And I was scared to tell anybody because I was scared I'd lose my job. Many pastors, is what they go through. They're scared if they say something, then they'll get fired because you'll think that they're weak. And you want pastors who are spiritual giants, and you can't be a spiritual giant if you're depressed. So I couldn't say anything. I didn't talk to anybody. 
But as I began to pray and cry out to God and say, God, no one's listening, no one cares, and I don't know why I feel this way, and I don't know what got me in this place, the thing that pulled me out of it is the same thing that pulled Elijah out of it. As God said, you want to move beyond this? Go give of yourself to somebody else. He said, go serve. Because see, the greatest thing that you can do to help yourself get out of this self-absorption that depression causes is to go and just give of yourself. Go meet somebody else's needs. Go serve. Go love on somebody else. Because you see, what happens is when you give of yourself and you're pouring out yourself to somebody else and you're meeting their needs, you don't have time to think about you. And all of a sudden, it totally changes your perspective. So what am I saying to you this morning? If you're struggling with depression, you need to remember you're not alone. There are people all over this room that have walked that path. Maybe even the person sitting beside you. Maybe the person sitting around you. God's not done with you. But I want to give you some practical things, and I'm done. If you're struggling with depression, even if you just think about it, teenager, child, young adult, senior adult, it doesn't matter how old. If you're struggling, if you're feeling some of those things that I read earlier, and you're walking part of that path, the first thing you need to do is reach out and speak up. Because you can't do it alone. You need somebody to help you. Find a friend, a, a, a loved one, a, a, a family member. Find a pastor. Find somebody that you can go and talk to, that you can go and share your heart. Don't let your pride get in the way. Don't let your idea think that this is a weakness cause you to not reach out and try to get help. We need each other. Reach out. Speak up. And the second thing Reach out to God. Tell God what's wrong. God, I'm mad. God, you took this family member from me. God, I lost my job. God, I feel like I want to quit. I feel like nobody cares. I'm angry. I'm not happy right now. Everything's falling apart, God. Because you see, it's not until you tell God how you feel that He can begin to comfort you in the very place where those feelings came from. Be honest with Him. See, we put on masks too many times. We mask here in church, and then we mask in front of God. Listen, God sees right through it. He knows what's going on. He just wants you to share so He can begin to bring healing to it. Reach out to God. Focus on Him. Spiritual warfare is real, and the enemy wants to defeat you. Find somebody that will pray for you. Find somebody that will help you. And then the third thing, if you've done all those things, if you've... If you've sought help and you've been talking and you've been praying and you've been trying to get better habits, guarding yourself and it's still not working, seek medical help. Don't wait. Find a doctor. Go to a Christian counselor. Go to somebody that has some kind of medical expertise to be able to determine if maybe it's beyond something that's emotional and physical and maybe it's something chemical. Get help. You see... Depression is something that, in reality, probably most of us in this room are going to face one day. If you haven't faced it yet, you probably will. If it's not something that's been a part of your life, then you probably will come. But for now, many of you in this room say, it's not me, Pastor. I'm not depressed. What do you do? Make yourself available for those that are. Be willing to listen. Take it seriously when somebody comes to me. When your teenager comes and says, I'm, I'm feeling this way, don't write it off and say, oh, no, you're not. Everybody feels that way. Recognize that it's a reality. When your 
loved one begins to make yourself available. Listen. Listen to what they say. Don't judge. Encourage them. Be there for them. Sometimes it's just being there that counts. Depression has nothing to do with a lack of faith. It has nothing to do with not loving Jesus enough. It's a reality of our life because we live in the flesh. And the Bible says we'll always battle it. But listen to what David wrote in Psalms 40. For I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned and He heard my cry. And He lifted me out of the slimy pit, and He lifted me out of the mud and out of the mire. And He set my feet on a rock, and He gave me a firm place to stand, and He put a new song in my mouth and a new hymn of praise to our God so that many will see and fear what God has done and put their faith in Him. See, there is hope this morning. Please hear me. If you're depressed, if you're struggling this morning, if you feel like you're all alone, if you feel like no one cares, there's hope. You see, He is a chain breaker. This morning, He wants to be that for you. Let's pray.